On today's episode of The Ramp Podcast, I sit down with Angela Chang Samini, the accomplished SVP of Talent and CHRO at Harvard Business Publishing. We deviate a bit from those five questions that we typically ask all our guests and have a thought-provoking discussion on the future of work. Angela is somebody that we've admired from afar for quite some time, and we feel very fortunate to welcome her as a guest on our show. She has tons of experience building cultures at many successful organizations, and now as a member of Harvard Business Publishing, she gets to see some of the best and brightest in action. Angela shares her perspective and her thoughts, how the working world will work several years into the future. This was one of my absolute favorite episodes of season three, and I know you will learn from Angela's guidance. Let's jump in to my conversation with Angela right now. You're listening to The Ramped Podcast, a podcast connecting industry heavyweights with the next generation of talented professionals. We're on a mission to build transparency into the practical realities of your early career by exploring how the world's best did it themselves. Our guidance will help you discover and launch a successful career in sales, technology, finance, and many other industries. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Ramped Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with us. It is Angela Chang Samini. Angela, how are you? I'm doing great, Danny. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. We scouted you out for a while and we're able to connect with you. And I'm so thankful that you're able to join us today, share some guidance with our audience. I know they're going to love this discussion. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to get into this conversation. Of course. So before we get started, before we get rolling on some of the questions, I want to know, and so does our audience, who is... So I'm a mom of two grown children, 25 and 23. My son is actually getting married next year, so that's super exciting. I'm an only child, so I'm not a sibling. I am a wife, 28 years married, my college sweetheart, and I am a 30-year career HR professional. Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely outstanding. So as you, that was one of the reasons that your background, your profile, in addition to being absolutely stellar, caught our attention was that experience you have in the HR profession, mostly because at Ramped, we focus on helping folks level up their experience and get them into jobs that they're not only great fits for, but they are super compelled to join and be gung-ho about. So I'm very curious with the first question, kind of digging in a little bit, how do you think about preparation for that first role, first early career opportunity? And what are some of the things that folks can do to level up uh, as they're entering into the workforce? I think one of the things that benefited me the most was just leaning in to the fact that I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Just really recognizing that intellectual curiosity is the fastest and easiest way to, as you say, level up. Just ask the questions. There's a lot of forgiveness when you're a year or two out of school because people aren't expecting you to have the expertise or the familiarity with just about anything. So it's okay to say, like, I don't understand that acronym, or can you walk me through that process from A to Z? And if you're lucky enough, you'll find a mentor or sponsor who'll pull you aside and really spend time. But even just in that random meeting, don't be afraid to raise your hand and be like, I'm sorry, can you just explain that to me? Because sitting there in your ignorance right? It's definitely not going to be the quickest way to level up. Cool. And that's really sound advice. It is 
and you do have the opportunity to fail a ton in those early stages of your career, oftentimes, especially for what we've heard working with thousands of early career professionals is not only are they a little worried or more worried than most to fail, but they're almost need to ask those questions and to dig in. How do you overcome some of those early fears or early anxieties? Is there something that you did? I'd love to share my perspective, but I was one of those people. I was scared to ask questions. I didn't want to sound like a fool in some of those meetings. Is there advice you can give to folks that just say like, hey, just go for it or find somebody that's done it before that's a few years older or something like that? Yeah. So definitely in the moment can be really heart stopping, right? Because to your point, you've got an audience. It's probably a mixed audience of people, varying levels of seniority. So yeah, you don't want to look like you don't know what's going on, but take copious notes. And then after the fact, make sure that you find people that you can follow up with. And again, when you're early career, people are expecting you to ask those questions. They're not going to be surprised when you're not intimately familiar with how something is done. So capitalize on that and really don't be afraid, right? Because asking questions, and I do that now even, right? Even 30 years in, I, I'm in a company where the industry is completely new to me. I've never been in media. And so I'm raising my hand. I'm like, tell me about how a book gets published. How do you sign on a new author? How do you create the headline for today's webpage in hbr.org? I don't know any of that. And people are like, actually, you're really interested. They will love to tell you because they want to share their information. So I have not found at all that people are like judging or disappointed that I'm asking the questions because they know I don't know. Yeah, it's great advice. I love your perspective too on just taking the note and maybe approaching someone after the meeting. That is a really good way to kind of break the ice and then get more comfortable or get more into the motions or the situational things at a specific company. I know I'm catching you kind of at a time in the economy where things are in flux and we don't know what's going to happen. We just came off of a few years of COVID. Everybody's working from home. We're both in offices that we don't usually sit in right now, actually. I'm curious to know your perspective on what that next one to five, maybe 10 years out actually looks like. Because it does seem like folks are obsessing over what does the future of work look like? Are we going to be working out of our homes forever? Are we going to be working back in an office? What's your perspective on it? So we recently read an article, which sadly we did not write at HBR, but it was about capturing the best of both worlds, right? So companies are trying to understand how often should people come in? Is it literally a number? Is it two? Is it three? Is it five? And what I think we're discovering is that there is a time to be in the office and there's a time to be working from home. So time to be in the office is collaboration, spontaneous thinking, or just a social event when you want to get to know new members in your team, right? Because we know that sometimes physical interaction can't be replaced by virtual interaction. Time at home is when you can really be heads down. You can be so super productive because you don't have the distractions of the commute. You don't have the distractions of other people popping by your office. So what's the best of both worlds? And so I think we're getting closer to understanding what that looks like, certainly for us, we've moved to right now, it's come into the office when you need to be. Don't come into the office if you don't need to be. And we're trusting our people to make the best decisions. And I would say that our performance has not been greatly impacted by allowing people to have the agency to determine what works best. So I think for the future, it's a lot about that. It's about capturing what's the best of both. The technology is catching up, right? We're getting better with Mural. We're getting better with all the different Kanban boards that are now done virtually where you can brainstorm and whiteboard together. So that's been a little bit of a lagging piece, but 
I think companies are seeing the opportunity to really jump in that to facilitate people working from home. So that's what I say. I don't, we're not going, I don't think we're going to go back to five days a week unless you work for Twitter, right? Or some big company like that. But I think those organizations are missing the boat around what really drives real employee engagement, loyalty, and productivity at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with you. Super interesting perspective. I like how you phrased that and framed it up like a time to be in the office and a time to be at home. And just for the audience, so we can timestamp this a little bit, Elon Musk just announced at Twitter that folks had to come back into the office for about 40 hours a week or more than 40 hours a week, it sounds like, or they're effectively submitting their resignation letter, which is quite intense from the culture that Twitter used to have. TBD on that one. I'm curious to know, because we see quite often, so I want to lay out a fact from what we've uncovered from our audience. And we've worked with tens of thousands of early career job seekers. When we poll them, about 92% of them say that they prefer remote work to anything else. And this is usually Gen Z. So we're thinking like 22, 24 year olds. And they all oftentimes shy away from jobs that even include like a hybrid mark. Now I graduated into the last financial crisis around 2009, 2008. And I, um, I frankly felt when I came out of school that I was really lucky to get any job. Like that was kind of the attitude back then is like, take the job that gives you any amount of income and just run at it. And now it does feel like that attitude has changed a bit. And I'm curious how that plays with this kind of hybrid or come to the office some days or come to the office at some period versus work at home. How do you see this, that element playing out? Because I tend to agree with you. I think there's, I personally feel a calling back to an office environment. Now, do I want that every day? No, but now I have coworkers dispersed throughout the country. And I also want to continue working with those folks. Like, how do you think through those challenges, especially on the talent or HR side? So one of the things that has been research coming out of the pandemic is that onboarding is super important. So in the early days, when someone joins an organization, you have to, as quickly as possible, help them develop a network so that they can plug in and feel like they're part of a community, whether that's physical or virtual. I guess I'm a little old school when I say that I think there is value to coming together. So to the 92% who believe that they prefer remote above everything else, I wonder if they have, it, if they have experience what it's like to be in a vibrant office where the neurons are firing and people are tagging off each other and getting deep into a conversation. Because it's hard to do that over Zoom or over WebEx or any of these, right? The technology, right? Like you can't have two people talking at the same time, right? The technology cuts one person out over the other. If you're an introvert, it's really hard to get noticed if you're one of 30 boxes. Those people sort of fade into the background. Whereas I think that if you're in a room, you can kind of raise your hand and get noticed where you can have a sidebar with someone and just kind of check for understanding. It's hard to do that. So I'm not at all discounting that there is real value in allowing people to work from home. I know there are days when I'm absolutely loving the fact that I don't have to get in my car and drive 75 minutes, right? Again, I think it's best of both. So I would encourage people to try the in-office experience and be intentional about how you spend that time there, right? Are you meeting with people so that you can have really robust conversation, not something that you can duplicate, Overline over over the WebEx, but is there something that's happening there that can only be done or can be amplified because you're doing it in purpose in person? Yeah, 
really good perspective. I think it's really important too for our audience to understand some of the things that Angela just mentioned too. And I'm I am biased. Like I came out to the workforce in legit like the first real job or the job that I think of the most as my first real job was in 2000, late 2009, early 2010. And I got the opportunity to work at a startup at that time. It was a startup. It was Groupon. And, and look, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Like being in the office with a bunch of my peers, the company was growing, even like a simple, hey, I just heard this in a meeting. Let's just talk that through a little bit more after the meeting. Like that interaction just doesn't exist anymore. When a meeting is done or you're on Zoom, you end the Zoom and you're just thinking, or you have to take it to a Slack or or a Teams or whatever chat you use in office. So it's just very different today. And I agree with you. There's so much that you miss with that, with those little interactions. And they really do help codify some of the DNA of the company as well. Daniel, Daniel, add to that. I think there are social graces about living in an office environment that you will never pick up if you are only remote. Right. So unless we fast forward and we really become sort of, are you familiar with the movie Wally from Disney? Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Where everybody is 5,000 pounds because they no longer use their muscles and they sit in a chair all day. And then when they finally had to stand up, they stumbled because they didn't have the muscles, right? They didn't know how to work and live and work in a world that was physical. And I feel that a little bit here, right? How do you shake your hands with someone? How do you go to a cocktail hour and network? How do you walk up to a CEO and give your elevator pitch because you got a great idea? Those are habits and experiences that you learn by being physically together. And I think those who insist on a remote world will lose out on that, which means you'll lose the competitive edge. I don't think we are going to see ever a time when being physically together is not going to be a good thing, where it's not going to be part of your career growth. So I think you got to put yourself in the situation where you can learn those. We just had an intern class. And for some of them, it was the first time they were ever in a corporate environment. And they got so much appreciation and learned so much about what it means to be physically present, how to be heard, how to hold yourself, how to contribute in a conversation, how to stand up and be noticed in a meeting. Those are things they couldn't have acquired if they did it strictly over Zoom. So that's, I think, super thought. Those are exceptional points. And you're totally right. Totally right. You just don't have that interaction, those interactions at all anymore, like legit none. And yeah, you can see just like, I can just see this like big list in my head. It just kind of just always looks like a big pro and con <laughs> board. And it's so many pros and like some cons. I still think the pros probably outweigh the cons. And I just don't know how to resolve the fact that like, I still, I do also think that there's just talent. What the pandemic has revealed, maybe a silver lining is that talent is everywhere and can be everywhere. Yes. And it's not just in these little bubbles, tech being in Silicon Valley or med tech in Boston area. Like it's just, it's not always like that. So trying to resolve those. And I think we'll come to some conclusion or at least like the next phase over the next two to five years. And then I'm very curious to see what it looks like. I do think the days of, hey, show up at the office and stick around all day because we say so, I think that's, I think that's gone. Absolutely. But, 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 uh, but yeah, TBD on some of the other stuff. But good thoughts. I do want to transition a little bit to some of this future of work discussion. I know that you pay attention to this stuff quite often. I'm curious to know who are some of the folks that you admire when talking through future of work or some of the readings or some of the things that you teach over in, in your spheres? Like, 
where do you focus your attention and who are some of those voices that you pay attention to? It's hard to identify really good prognosticators, but I'm obviously I'm part of the Harvard ecosystem. So I'm a huge fan of Professor Frances Fry. And she talks a lot about engendering trust in the workplace and how organizations do that really well. It clearly drives performance. And for those organizations who don't bother to spend the time, fit or die more slowly, right, which is a lot more painful. And I think the fundamentals of how to build strong business culture will apply in the future, 5, 10, 50 years from now, as they did 5, 10, 50 years in the past, right? It's about treating employees well. It's about investing in their growth. It's about having transparent conversations. It's about paying them well. It's about giving them the freedom to make choices and giving them agency. All of those things are still true. I don't think it matters whether or not on one coast I'm in another, you're in a different time zone, you're in a different country. We're doing this by phone, in person, over a virtual conference. So, you know, I think we spend a lot of time sort of trying to look into the crystal ball when actually I think the solutions are right in front of us, right? Just treat people well and they will show up for you. Let's not overcomplicate this. I have seen a lot of HR professionals, I think, overcomplicate the discipline of how to lead people. Right? I, it's, I don't think it's, I don't, I honestly don't think it's that difficult. You treat them well and they'll treat you well. Yes, it's transactional. And that might have been a long time coming. Right? People don't stay at one company for 50 years anymore. And I would say that it's on you if your organization isn't sticky enough that people will stay for you for 50 years. And I think it's a truth that people move around a lot more than they used to. But I think that's more a reflection of the organization than it is of the job hopper. That's just me. Yeah, those are really good points, good perspectives. And seeing enough stops, I think, along the way to identify that it is just it's kind of like the, the golden or platinum rules, right? Treat others how you would want to be treated or treat others how they would want to be treated, that's whatever. It variation yeah. that you want to go by is is usually just good enough to get it done. Are there some things that you can look to at Harvard that you say, okay, we are really great at X when leading a group of people, managing or creating culture? They're like, you know, is obviously everybody knows the name and everybody knows that it's really important as an institution. But what are the what makes Harvard what it actually is? What makes the the publishing, the business review like why do people love it? Why do people want to go, go there? So I will tell you, Danny, that this is probably one of the best gigs of my life because I am surrounded by people, whether they're the editors, whether or not they're the facilitators of conversation, whether they're producing the content or designing the user experience. All we want to do all day long is talk about how we make organizations stronger, how we make let leaders better, and how we amplify the voice of the employee. That's HR in a nutshell, right? And so I'm getting my geek on every single day, right? So the person who's the AP specialist, they know why they're there at HVP. It's sort of like the janitor at NASA, right? What's your job? My job is to put a man on the moon. Like people understand why they're here. They believe in the mission of our work, which is we just want to put really great ideas out into the world that help solve organizational challenges for so that they can be better at whatever it is they do, whether it is they make a widget or they put a man on the moon. And I think that's something we can really get behind. I know for me, I feel good knowing that we're not creating another piece of junk that's going to land up in the ocean or a landfill somewhere, right? We're all about ideas. We're all about helping people solve challenges, whether that's personal, like how do I ask for a raise? 
or it's for executive teams who want to understand how they take their organizations through a really difficult period of change. We have content for everyone and we make it accessible to everyone. And I think that's something we can really stand behind and be proud of. And so we're trying to practice what we preach. It's really hard because our ideas are really lofty and really noble, right? And so putting that into practice takes a lot of work, but I'm really proud that this leadership team at HVP is fully aligned. We're all rowing in the same direction. We know what it is we're here to accomplish, which is to make us a great place to work so that those people can do what they're best at. Super, super cool. And I mean, it is no wonder, obviously, that Harvard has stood the test of time. And I think it is, it is, I'm a believer that culture, while it's not necessarily dollars in cent, dollars and cents, the top line revenue or the numbers you pay attention to, but culture is something that can live beyond any one era or one regime or whatever you want to call it. And it's clear to me that you all over there are taking that really seriously. And it has stood the test of time. And there are things like that where people are just on it because of the mission. And it is an institution and that takes a lot of work. And it's really cool to watch. And we have yet to speak with somebody from Harvard. So it's really cool to feel it through the conversation as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, an organization will have culture whether or not you design it, right? It will evolve on its own. So it has you have to be intentional around what that looks like, because it can pretty quickly go sideways on you if you're not careful. So we talk a lot about why we exist, how the work that we do promotes good in the world, and then we make sure that we do it for our own folks. It's great. Angela, I'm curious to know, because we are seeing, call it, call it nicely, chaos right now with some of our institutions, some of our big businesses. We mentioned Twitter already, but you know, we just have a sea of layoffs from Meta and these companies that just are behemoths. And we think when we hear them, we're like, oh, those are the most impressive companies our country has. I'm curious to know your perspective on what is it going to take for, or maybe a better way to put it, like, what will the winning companies do over this time period, maybe out about 10 years so that they position themselves to manage a crisis like this and come out much better on the other side? Transparency. And for me, the definition of transparency is giving information to the people who need it when they need it. It doesn't mean sharing every deep, dark secret, right? Because there's, there is discretion around data that's important to respect. But each of our employees is a CEO in their own right, right? They run their own households. They make financial decisions. They make psychological decisions. They make really important, life-changing decisions for their family. And any organization who thinks that employees who do that outside of the home don't have the intellectual capacity to make good decisions for you at work are missing a whole piece of someone's potential. So when you're about to embark on some change, share with them the information because if because then they can translate that into what does that mean for what I do every day? And then they can make the right choices because people make 10,000 choices a day, every day without someone hovering over their shoulder, right? It's not scalable. Otherwise it's called micromanagement. And I don't think anybody wants to live under that, right? So for me, if there's any sort of period of change, it's to make sure that people know what's going on so that they've got a North star, like, okay, that's where we're going. This is how I'm going to get there. You put values around it as guardrails so that people don't do it in a way that is inconsistent with your culture, and then you reward them when they do it well. So I think it's one of those closed loops that really reinforces itself pretty easily. 
give them information so they can make independent decisions that are in line with where you're going. And you make sure you tell them how you want them to do it so that you reward the right behaviors. And voila, again, I don't try to make these things too complicated. So I think for organizations that try to keep it in a black box and then suddenly just announce that they're going to lay off, people should have been prepared. They should have known the financial health of the organization. They should have known what business decisions they were undertaking so that people could weigh the risks and the benefits of that for themselves so that they could choose, okay, well, you know what? I think that means I need to go drum up X more percent in business or I need to work faster. I need to turn out 10,000 more widgets so that people can make those decisions so that you can empower them. Without information, they'll make decisions and they won't be the right ones. So again, I think that's a pretty basic tenet to management is transparency of information. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think we are shifting to a world of more transparency in general with some of the technologies and maybe some of the like ethos of... uh, you know, maybe millennial and Gen Z just having access to information all times and demanding that and craving it. I would like to know, because frankly, we all struggle. I've seen many organizations that I've worked at, some great, some not so great at this transparency. Like when, what is the point where it's too much info or is it the way that the information is communicated? Like what are some examples of, uh, info that doesn't need to be shared or info that does need to be shared. These are like complex decisions. And I think it's important. The reason I'm asking is I think it's important for early career folks to kind of evaluate companies based on that. Like if they're not getting the requisite info in an interview, for instance, like about salary or the folks they're going to be working with, that's in our opinion, a red flag, but where does it start and where does it stop in terms of that transparency? Oh, that's a great question, Danny. I think so much of that is dependent upon the information that you're talking about, right? So if, for example, you're preparing for a layoff, you're not going to share that a month before the layoff actually happens, right? Because that just causes so much distress and you want to make sure that you go through that process in a due diligence way that's not impacted by too much stress around it. So those things you would keep close to the chest. But if you're going to take your business in a completely new direction, I think you want to build the business case for, hey right? This is a crowded field. We want to go over here where there's a lot more white space. And so we're going to start exploring that. And what does that mean for the skills and the talent that we're going to need so that people are like, okay, I see that. And they can make their assessment around whether or not this is a place where they can add value or if this is a place where they might need to go look for something else, right? As an example. Again, we talk so much about prognosticating about what's going to happen in the future. And you don't want employees to be so worried about the future that they can't focus on the present. So for me, it's always a case by case. But if you start from, I'm going to share information as often as I can, as often as it's appropriate, you're most, you you very rarely find yourself in a place where you've left the organization in the dark, right? Again, it's a lot about discretion, but lean towards sharing as much as you can. Great. Yep. Good, good guiding light, good guiding principle. I have one last question somewhat related to that. And then we'll get you out of here with some of the uh, the connection stuff. But I'm curious to know, so there's obviously a set of rules, companies or set of guidelines companies should and shouldn't do. How about for the individual, for these early career professionals that are either entering into the workforce or just entered into the workforce, how do you recommend they position themselves super well for the next, let's call it three, five, maybe even 10 years of their career? I think one of the most important things that an early stage career individual can do is build themselves a personal board of directors, 
So find themselves mentors, find themselves allies, and if you're lucky enough, find yourself a sponsor. So an ally is someone who stands with you. A mentor is someone who gives you coaching and counseling. A sponsor is someone who leverages their points of power to actually give you benefit. So they're going to look through their Rolodex and they're going to be like, you know what? Danny is great. You should hire him. That's a sponsor. A mentor is going to tell you how to interview, how to get the right experiences so that you're ready for the next role. And so to the extent that you can build out your network, get yourself surrounded by people who will support you in each of those different dimensions, it's super important. Never too early to do that and never too late to start to, to do that. So I think it's always good to, to, to recognize that you can lean on other people for your own success. Ultimately, you own your own, but there are lots of people who are willing to invest their time, to share their experiences, to give you advice. A lot of people are super generous in that way. And so if you can build out that network, that can pay you back in spades. And I'm at the point in my career where I'm now serving as sponsors and mentors to other people. I'm paying it for by paying it back. And it's incredibly gratifying to see early career professionals come to me and ask for advice and for me to be able to lift them up and say, hey, this person is ready for this opportunity. I think you should take a chance on them. So it's super powerful. And it's not a skill that a lot of people are thinking about, right? They're just sort of going day to day through their job and hoping that they'll get tapped and they'll get noticed. But in a lot of ways, this is the best way to advocate for yourself is get others to advocate for you. Well, a great place to end our, and I have to say, Angela, folks would be super, super lucky to have you on their personal board of directors, just based on this conversation alone and how much I have taken away and learned. I know for a fact, our audience is going to eat this one up before we let you get out of here. Where can folks find you? So fortunately, I am the only Angela Cheng Simony on LinkedIn. So feel free to message me there, connect with me, follow me. And if there's ever any way that I can help and pay it forward, I'm happy to do that. Amazing. Well, Angela, one of one on LinkedIn for our audience. So you'll have an easy time finding her. Reach out and seriously, thank you so much for being with us today. We are going to cherish this episode. Our audience is going to love it. And I hope to have you back at some point on the Ramp Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Ramped Podcast. To access our show notes, the Ramped platform, or to become a corporate partner, visit www.rampedcareers.com or email us at sales at rampedcareers.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ramped. Ramped is on a mission to democratize job access through learning and career discovery. Until next time.